0: The Ruffian by Paul Martin. An original fairy tale copyright Paul Martin's Fine Films and Audiobooks 2020. This original fairy tale is part of the world of my two previous stories The Ruby Cave and The Witch and the Wolverine. Chapter One Escape and Pursuit. Once on a time there lived a ruffian called Boss. Boss grew up as a serf who worked as a farmhand. Just as he had barely reached manhood, a plague swept through the village and killed most of the people. Among those dead included the aristocratic family that ruled over the fiefdom. But not Boss. He was sick for a little while, then recovered. All of the farm animals died in the plague, so he took to travelling. He loved the fresh air, the mountains and the forests. He did hunting and foraging when he was far from civilization. He would build primitive shacks and sleep in them. When he approached homesteads of farmers, he would work for food and lodging for a few nights, then move on. Finally, he found a large town and got a job as a blacksmith. Unknown to him, he had to pay taxes. The authorities would prey on ignorant or vulnerable people in order to extort far more money than was necessary. If people were unable to pay their taxes, they could be sold into slavery. After working there for a year, he was visited by the tax department, who summoned him to the tax collector's house. Boss was informed that half of all he had earned in the past year had to be paid in tax within two moons. Boss did not save his money. It was all spent on food or drink and dancing girls in the tavern, or rent to the landlady who owned his mud hut. But Boss just calmly told the tax collector that he had saved the money and he would pay his entire amount in two moons' time. The tax collector was a stingy miser who loved counting his ducats day and night. One night, as he was counting his money and thinking of how blessed he was to own so much, there was a knock at the door. He opened the door, and there was Boss. Boss was holding a bag, and as he stepped inside, he held out his bag to the tax collector. As the money bag's lover reached out to get it and sat down to count the money, Boss bashed him over the head with an iron club as hard as he could. While the miser was unconscious, boss broke his neck, filled his bags to excess, and then grabbed all the paper contracts of tax records, along with all the paper money, and piled it up next to his hapless victim. He then grabbed a large jar of oil, poured it over them, and set it alight using the torch on the wall. He quickly walked out of the house shut the door behind him, and headed back to his mud hut. He packed what few belongings he had. He left a few ducats in his hut for the rent he owed the landlady, with a little extra in gratitude. He sneaked across the outskirts of town, and in the distance he could hear commotions at the burning building of the tax collector. He needed a horse to get away in a hurry, so he headed to the police station. The policemen were all gone to help put out the fire. He crept around the back of the building where eight horses were tied up. He untied them and hit them on the rear end so that they galloped off the last one he mounted first, cut the rope and let it off. He headed in the direction of his old home. Just before leaving, he decided for good measure to set the police station on fire to erase all records of people they had prosecuted. Then he was off. The next day, the police began questioning the townsfolk to try to find the guilty party. They would have checked their police records and the tax records, but they were burned to ashes. They were prepared to use torture and death threats to get their information, and eventually they violently slapped and abused Boss's landlady. They asked where all her tenants were. She accounted for all of them, except boss. The police chief, Kiki, said, An arrest warrant will be put out for boss. It's obvious he was guilty because he ran away. And a person is guilty until proven innocent. I don't even care if he is guilty. Someone has to pay. With the footprints of eight different horses going off from the town, One set of footprints went in one direction, the other set of seven horses went towards the opposite direction. Kiki sent one search party after the herd, while his own select group went after the single set. They were six men heading out with the police chief, armed with chains, swords, and torture devices. They rode the entire day and into the night. Two men on each horse, since only three horses could be spared. After riding for many hours, the first horse collapsed and died from sheer exhaustion. Kiki was going to put three men on a horse each, but the men earnestly insisted that this was madness and the horses would collapse in no time. He reluctantly accepted their counsel but resented them for contradicting his orders. Kiki ordered the two men of the fallen horse to return home on foot since they wouldn't be able to keep up with the party. He refused to give them any food for their return home but gave them one measly water bottle. On the return home, they got into a knife fight over the water. One man was killed, the other was stabbed, and the water got spilt during their fight. The surviving man died on the way home. Kiki and his posse continued their relentless chase, two men atop each horse. On a far distant hill, Boss looked behind him and saw the hot pursuit. He headed across the rocks to avoid making any footprints. He knew that if he could see them, they could likely see him as well. He saw a nearby stream and got his horse to drink, then ripped down some long grass to feed her. He had made sure his horse was well looked after so that he in turn would be well looked after. He tied the horse under a shady tree and headed slowly downhill to watch the approaching men. He could see by the outline of their clothing that they were police from the town he had fled. And he was instantly alarmed. He was armed with only a small sword and a bow with only two arrows. He saw one of the horses collapse at the bottom of the hill The men stopped and set up camp. The other horse was drinking from the stream, but the one that had collapsed was lying on its back with its feet in the air motionless. Presumably it had died. He waited until the sun was down and the men were asleep and he approached their camp. Two men slept while the third was on sentry duty. When it was about midnight, he aimed and fired an arrow through the neck of the sentry. He then fired his second arrow through the neck of the horse. They would have to pursue him on foot. He stole their bag of supplies, their water bottles, their maps and compass, then headed back up the hill to his horse. He got a few hours sleep and was wide awake in the morning. He noticed that the policemen were gone, so quickly he made a move to get as far away as possible. They would still be tired from their relentless journey, and would wake up hungry, angry, and without horses, whereas Boss had had a nice breakfast of dried sausage, and fresh fruit that he had stolen off his hunters. He was feeling great and full of energy. He came out to the other side of the hill into a wide open valley of green grass. Then he heard a frantic call in the distance. Boss, are you boss? Stop in the name of the law. We have a warrant for your arrest. Boss knew the penalty for tax evasion to be hung, drawn and quartered, just like most other crimes. He rode on and got the horse to speed up a little. He could have ridden as fast as he could until the horse collapsed and died, but if he did this, he would be running from them for the rest of his life. He had a better plan as they pursued him. He thought to himself, I've got you right where I want you. You'll never escape from me now. Kiki had a sword and his subordinate was carrying a lance. He noticed they had split from each other like the two ends of a triangle heading towards the third point. Suddenly Boss turned around and headed straight towards the lance-wielding warrior. As he got closer, the man hurled his lance straight at him. Boss dodged almost falling off the horse in the process but the horse then trampled the warrior underfoot. Boss quickly turned his friend around and headed back to the lance. It was upright with its blade firmly planted in the ground. He dodged past and slowed the horse down and grabbed the lance. Kiki was screaming hysterically at him. Come and fight like a man, you coward! Surrender yourself! I've got the law on my side! I've got a warrant for your arrest! The man, who had just been trampled by the horse, had gotten up, but this time he was dazed, unarmed and confused. Bors rode over him one more time and then plunged the lance about five times into his stomach. Kiki was fast approaching. Boss rode just fast enough to not get caught by Kiki. This gave Kiki the impression that the horse was tired and ready to collapse, so he ran like he had never run before. Every time he sped up, the horse seemed to speed up just fast enough to be out of his reach. Kiki was becoming more and more tired, but he was determined to to run until he dropped. The race continued longer than either of them expected. Kiki could see that Boss was leading him around in circles in the valley. When Boss turned around and grinned at him, Kiki felt a fresh rage overcome him and kept running. But sheer determination cannot overcome one's inability to run indefinitely. Kiki collapsed. Boss turned around and rode over him. He groaned and managed to turn on his back. When he looked up, he saw Boss standing over him with a lance, ready to plunge it into his thigh. You are a criminal tax evader and guilty of murder and arson. Here's my warrant for your arrest. ''This is a legal document. It's a piece of paper. You must obey the law.'' Kiki threw the rolled-up paper at him. Boss caught the piece of paper, stepped back so that Kiki could not make a lunge for him. Boss opened the paper, even though he could not read. He just grinned at Kiki and said nothing.'' You know that you will be a man of no honour unless you return. Follow your conscience. You know it's the right thing to do, said the police chief. Bors ripped the paper apart and put the remains in his pocket and again planted his spear on Kiki's leg. Don't talk to me about honour or conscience. Or obeying you criminal tax extortionists, said Boss. What kind of a fool do you take me for? But I've got the law on my side. That's a legal document. That's another offence you've just committed. Boss simply replied, The only thing that matters is that I win and you lose. That I live and you die. Kiki glared at him in a rage. He suddenly pulled a dagger out of his cloak, but he was not fast enough. Bors plunged the spear into his leg, and while he was wincing in pain and sat up, Bors walked behind him and pushed the spear against his back. ''Face me, you coward!'' snarled Kiki. ''A man of honour is supposed to face his opponent ''and have an equal fight to the death!'' ''Do you give your captives in chains an equal chance to escape?'' asked Boss. Kiki opened his mouth to answer, but before he could say another word, Boss thrust the weapon into him from behind and he let out a groan. Boss chopped his head off and buried it in the mud on the river bank. He tore off the police clothes so that no one would know who had died. He left the body exposed out of compassion for the crows. He rode back over the hill and did the same thing to the man he had shot the night before, as well as the third man. He burned their clothes. He then rode on. Chapter 2 The Wager. Three days later, he rode over the second mountain range, and after a few more nights, he would be back to his old fiefdom. With his aristocratic overlords dead, he would simply live in their unoccupied castle. Why he had not done this previously was his ignorance and naivety of the big wide world. But after experiencing the futility of a world of police brutality, tax extortion, and seeing slavery, torture, mindless wasting of money in taverns on beer and dancing girls, he had decided it was time to retreat back to the safety of his castle and find like-minded individuals to join him. He shot a deer, skinned it, and began roasting it over a spit. As the succulent meat was roasting, he saw some men in the distance approaching him. As they got closer, he saw two big men and a boy barely in adulthood approaching him. The two men were big, almost as big as himself. They wore plain grey tunics. They looked strong and rough. The boy wore black robes and a black cap. He looked creepy and crafty with a cynical sneer on his face. "'Good evening, my good man,' said the youth. "'My name is Witsy Wits. "'I'm a traveller and a money lender by trade.' These are my two slaves. What might your name be? I am Boss, Boss of the Western Riverlands. I am travelling back to my home after many travels abroad this past year. Sounds like a very exciting adventure, said Witsy Wits in a condescending tone that showed he was not the least bit interested. Look, we are hungry and need to eat. We would love to join you for dinner and to sleep in the warmth of your fire. I will gladly pay you one silver ducat for each of us. Three ducats, exclaimed Bors, you've got yourself a deal. The money lender grinned broadly, and the three of them sat down around the fireplace. What are your names, asked Bors. The two men looked down ashamed and said nothing. Wits answered for them, Slaves don't have names, otherwise they end up thinking too highly of themselves, and then they become rebellious and insolent. I treat them like cattle. I just call them Slave 1 and Slave 2. Boss noticed the smug joy on Wits's face as he said it, he could not understand especially in a remote location like this why they did not break his neck and walk away as free men but he kept that thought to himself How did you end up acquiring these slaves asked Boss witsy Witz's eyes went wide in delight he turned to slave 2 tell them the story slave two with a pained look on his face said we made a wager and signed an agreement a legal document a piece of paper a piece of paper approved of by the police if we won a game of chess against master witsy wits he would pay us 200 ducats of gold if we lost we were to become his slaves Since a slave is worth only 50 gold ducats, we saw that this bet was grossly in our favour, not his. Well, each of us lost the game, and so we renounced our freedom and became his bondsmen. After all, as the saying goes, your word is your bond. Have you ever tried to escape? asked Bors. Never! Never! Even if someone set me free I would turn them over to the authorities. I signed a legal document, a piece of paper. That would be dishonourable. Anyway, as the saying goes, a man who owns slaves should use them and not release them. A slave should not expect to be released, but to be put out to hard work. Whitsy Wits was grinning smugly, trying not to laugh. I tell you what, boss, let's do a wager. I'll give you 300 ducats if you beat me at chess. If I beat you, you don't have to pay me any ducats. You can just become my bondsman. To show he meant business, Witsy-wits opened his bag of ducats. Boss saw the money and knew he would need it at some stage. ''Okay, I'll do it.'' At lightning speed, Witsy Wits whipped out a piece of paper for him to sign. Boss could not read or write, so he simply put an X where his signature was to go. ''Are you familiar with the rules of chess?'' asked Slave One. ''Never played it in my life,'' Boss replied. They explained the rules to him, and Bors knew there was no way he could possibly remember all these unnecessary rules of the game. And so the game began. After about nine moves, Witsy Wits said, "Checkmate." mate.'' Boss stared at him blankly. ''It means you lost the game and you are now my slave.'' Boss smashed his hand on the board, flinging the pieces into the fire. No, I'm no one's slave, said Boss. But you sign that piece of paper, thundered Slave 2, looking enraged in him. Slave 1 had an equal look of disgust. Bors whipped out his dagger at lightning speed and cut Slave Two's throat Slave one charged at him and violently bashed him in the chest knocking the dagger out of his hand but Bors punched him in the throat and while the sycophant was winded on the ground Boss picked up a large rock and dropped it on the slave's head. He felt sad to end the lives of these men but they had left him no choice. Witsy-wits looked on in horror as his beasts of burden lay dead at his feet. His look of arrogance had changed to a look of fear and terror, but he had to think quickly with his wits. He grabbed his two enormously heavy bags of wealth and lifted them off the ground. He still had a plan up his sleeve. If he could lure boss to work as his paid servant... They could get to a town. Then he could summon the police. Then he would produce the piece of paper and have boss tortured to death for the destruction of his property. Trying not to quiver, the moneylender said in a now humble, low-key voice, "Okay, I'm sorry about that joke about you being a slave. Forget about it. It was only a game of chess. How about you work for me as a paid hireling? I own lots of wealth. I will pay you very well, and I could use someone like you as a bodyguard. We could be a team. You would get to meet lots of powerful and influential people. Bors smiled at him, but a socially adept man like Witsy Wits knew that was not a friendly or foolish smile. It was a contemptuous look of mockery there was a tense silence and boss still said nothing witsy wits became more and more nervous as boss continued to eyeball him okay so i'm just going to take my things and leave you alone i'm sorry to have bothered you don't worry about the slaves of mine that you killed i didn't really need them anyway I'll, I'll be on my merry way. He took one step backwards still facing the wild man but boss took one step towards him and gave the biggest grin. Witsy Witz nervously smiled back at him but it was a forced smile with a look of terror in his eyes. There was another awkward silence the money-lender was now shaking, and the rattle of the money in his bags could be heard. He turned around slowly and began walking away, but he could hear Bors following him. He stopped suddenly, turned around and faced him. Now he could only quiver. I'll give you half my money if, if you let me leave now. But why only half? asked Boss. Witsy-wits gulped. He felt sick inside and had never felt such sheer terror in his life. All right, uh, have it all, he humbly intoned. He put the money bags down, then turned to walk away. As soon as his back was turned, boss charged at him like a battering ram and smashed him into the ground. Before he knew what had happened, Boss had broken the usurer's neck. Witzywitz groaned on the ground as Boss retrieved his papers and other documents and added them to the fire. He then looked on as the wild man built a funeral pyre and lifted the bodies of the slaves and put their bodies over the fire. He reached into the money bags and put two coins on the eyes of each dead man. Then he lifted his hands up and offered a prayer. In life we were enemies, but honourable adversaries. May we meet again as brothers. In this life you were degraded and dehumanised. May the Lord Christ have mercy on your souls and lift up the downtrodden men like you. May you forgive me for taking your lives in order to save my own. Rest in peace. Amen. wits could not feel his arms and legs. Hey, I could use some help over here. You owe it to me. I need you to take me to a physician so I can get fixed and get back to normal but Boss simply picked him up and threw his crippled carcass into the river and let it float downstream. Then he walked back to the fireplace and had a good night's sleep. Epilogue Three days later, Bors was back in his old village. No one had returned, and he began living in the luxury of the castle, and assumed the role as Lord of the Manor. He needed company, so he began raiding and killing slave traders and freeing the people. Soon he had amassed over 100 subjects. He pledged loyalty to King Hans and Queen Helena, who were committed to civilising the world and ridding it of gangsters and money-lending bankers and extortionists. After pledging fealty, he was knighted, and went out with his entourage to do some more hunting. The End